page that is. That is on page 278 in your pew Bible. We are in week two of our four-week look at the life of David. Most of our look is going to be before he actually became king, but what really allowed him to find the momentum to become what many people believe was the greatest leader Israel ever had, Old Testament. Just the absolute best. Many people believe that. Before we get there, I want to just share two things with you. Next week, you will not want to miss Mike Malik from Bradenton, Florida. will be preaching for the third straight year here at FCC Clinton. He's flying up tomorrow morning to be a part of the week of church camp that Ernie and I are leading. He's going to be our evening preacher. So be sure to be here next week. And the second thing I want to let you know is I need your prayers. We have something like 129 campers signed up. That's way too many for a week of camp that I'm leading. So I don't know if they can do something about that, but um, Ernie wants 199. I, I, no way, no way. So I need your prayers. We're really excited. Um, it's going to be a hot week. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but it's going to be mid-90s all week. So say a prayer for Ernie, myself, and a whole bunch of people from our church that's going to be leading the week of main camp at Little Galilee. Last week we looked at David's uh, calling, the fact that Saul, the first king of Israel, made so many mistakes along the way. He drifted from a right relationship with the Lord, where the Lord finally said to Samuel, enough's enough, I'm done with him, go and anoint the next king of Israel. And it was David, the eighth and youngest son of Jesse. Uh, It was kind of an odd situation. The, the, The seven oldest boys were there, and they lined them all up, and the oldest, Eliab, just a really well-built, handsome young man. Samuel said, it's got to be him. The Lord said, not happening. I've rejected him. And they went through this procession. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And each time the Lord said, I don't think so. And finally they went and grabbed David. He was out tending the sheep and they brought him in. And Samuel said, arise, he's the one. And he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Well, today's account is one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. My guess is, even if you're not a Christian, Even if you're not at church on a regular basis, you've heard something about David and Goliath, would be my guess. What I want to do today is I want to see what we can glean from this this narrative, this story that has transcended century after century after century of church life. This has always been just a very captivating narrative. We're going to read a lot of God's Word today. We're going to try to glean a lot from the text, and then I'm going to wrap up this, this, after, this morning, excuse me, I'm at camp already. This morning with five lessons that you can take with you from 1 Samuel chapter 17. So let's dive right in. The first observation that I want to show you is that Goliath the giant was someone that was driven by pride. He was driven by pride. 1 Samuel 17, beginning with verse 4, says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. That's not a misprint. Nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Number one, Goliath had pride in his potent weapons. Did you hear that description? Bronze helmet on his head, the coat of scale armor of bronze weighed about 125 pounds. 125 pounds. 
On his legs were bronze greaves. A bronze javelin was on his back. A spear shaft like a weaver's rod. The iron point alone weighed 15 pounds. So Goliath had pride in his potent weapons. Goliath also had pride in his powerful physical traits. Nine feet tall. That's just hard for us to even fathom. It's hard for us to even wrap our minds around it. How many of you remember Andre the Giant, the professional wrestler? Some of you will remember him. He was just a Hulk. He'd get in that wrestling ring, and he'd be wrestling people that were a foot or a foot and a half shorter than him, and he just looked like a giant. He was only seven feet, four inches tall, just to give you some perspective. This description of Goliath is the longest description physically that we have of anyone in all of the Bible. I think it's meant for the point of um, personification, so you would understand just how huge Goliath really was. Goliath also had pride in his perfect battle record. He was a champion. First of all, he rarely fought because no one was stupid enough to take him on, but when he did fight, he always won. He was the Rocky Marciano. He was the Joe Lewis of 1000 B.C., and you can see his confidence in the way that he walks, and in the way that he talks. Listen to this next next passage of Scripture where he really shares how confident he is. Beginning with verse 8, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. All of the armies lined up. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. That's confidence. You might call that overconfidence. You might call that arrogance. Goliath knew there was no one that could match his weapons. There was no one that could match him physically, and he was ready to take on anyone and everyone that would come his direction. Goliath, key word that I want you to see here is pride, a lot of pride. Second lesson we need to see this morning is that Saul, who is still king of Israel, was no longer the leader that was needed for victory. We've read uh, previously in chapter 16 that the Spirit of the Lord's left him. He's no longer the leader that Israel needs for victory because, number one, Saul fell victim to complacency as a great warrior. Do you remember last week? We just kind of referenced it. We didn't really spend a lot of time there, but why was Saul chosen to be the first king of Israel? Anybody remember? He was a head taller than anyone else. He was a great warrior. But at this point in his life, he has, com- he has become complacent. He's not gearing up for the battle. He's not ready to fight. Complacency may seem like no big deal, but it's a huge issue for Saul. And later on, it's going to be a huge issue for David when he's king as well. Saul was also overrun by fear as a king. Look at his reaction to Goliath's taunting in verse 11. It says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Fear was overcoming them. 
Remember back to Tuesday, September 11, 2001? I think most of us do. As the reports of the, the terrorist attacks came in, one plane, then another plane in the World Trade Center Tower, then the Pentagon. I know for many Americans, I put myself in that category, I, I was afraid. I didn't know what was next. It seemed like the bad news kept getting worse. And you just wondered, is anything positive going to come out of this? Is anything good going to be gleaned from this? Are there going to be more and more and more attacks? And fear can be very, very dangerous. And right here, Saul is being overrun by fear as king. See, Paul, Saul was resigned to looking for any other battle option. He, he's willing to do anything he can so he doesn't have to go to battle. He's willing to consider any and every other possibility. He's resigned to looking for any other option. Well, we've talked about Goliath, a lot of pride. We've talked about Saul He's someone that's no longer the leader that Israel needs. Let's look at one of the heroes of our story. Third, David is a hero because he overcame the obstacles of battle. David was probably in his late teens, would be my guess. Most commentators are saying he was 18 years old, maybe 19 years old. And you would think a battle against a professional, nine-foot-tall, undefeated soldier would never involve a 19-year-old. It would never involve a teenager. But what you need to see is that David would not allow the obstacles that he was facing to get in his way. Number one, David overcame his youthfulness and his inexperience. Verses 12 through 15 read like this. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. Firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Do do you see the picture that's playing out here? The three older brothers, well-built, impressive physically. They've got the battle gear on. They're, They're ready for battle. David's the youngest brother, and he's kind of doing the chores back and forth from father to the older sons, from father to the older sons. Not much of a warrior in most people's eyes. David's next assignment that we're going to read about is to take grain, bread, and cheese to his brothers and to the commander. It's not exactly a Hollywood-type role. David is viewed by many, including his father, as nothing more than a delivery boy. But when David gets to the battlefield, and when he sees and hears firsthand this taunting, this challenge from Goliath, he can't believe his ears. Look all the way down at verse 26. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Have you ever been around somebody that's really a big talker, but you don't think they've got the ability to back up their big talk? I have. 
And my guess is that's exactly what's playing out here. As David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? How dare he defy the armies of the living God? My guess is there's soldiers that are looking at him saying, do you see the giant? Nine feet tall? Do you see his javelin? Do you see his weapons? Can you hold it down? Can you not be quite so loud about that? But David's willing to overcome his youthfulness. He's willing to overcome his inexperience. He's also able to overcome his oldest brother Eliab's condescending attitude. Listen to what older brother has to say to David in verse 28. He says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David wants to get in the fight. David's ready to mix it up. And Eliab, his older brother, probably his idol for much of his life, he's not buying any of it. He's saying your heart's wicked. You're just looking for the praise and glory of men. It's not in the text, but my guess is Eliab's probably thinking to himself, why don't you shut your mouth and head back to the sheep? Let us big guys handle the big boy stuff, and you go take care of the sheep. Very condescending attitude. David's able to overcome it. Third, David overcame all of Israel's doubts. David was able to convince all of the people that needed convincing, starting with Saul, that he was the man. Even though he really wasn't a man yet, he was just a teenager, he was the man for the hour. And then finally, David overcame insufficient battle gear and weapons. He basically said, Saul, give me a chance. What do you have to lose? There's no one lining up for this battle. No one's taking a number saying, I want to be next. Let me go. Look at verse 39. After he's allowed to go, Saul says, if you're going to go, I'm going to give you my armor. I'm going to give you my weapons. This is almost comical in many ways. Verse 39. It says, David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them, so he took them off. I'm a Chicago Blackhawks fan. I don't know if we have any hockey fans here or not, but my wife bought me a red Chicago Blackhawks jersey like 18 years ago. I used to wear it all the time, and when my daughter Jordan was two years old, she loved to put on my Chicago Blackhawks jersey, and we've got some pictures of her trying to walk around the house, and it was longer than she was. And she'd get like three steps and then crash on down. She just couldn't do it. That's kind of how I envision David in many ways. He's got this huge set of armor and these weapons, and he can't even walk around in them because they're so heavy. No way he'd be able to go to battle and fight an undefeated nine-foot giant. But David's willing to overcome. Fourth lesson this morning. David's willing to enter the battle and here's what is really important. I want you to catch this. Because he walked with the Lord. Because he walked with the Lord. It's not because David was so great that this unfolds. It was because the Lord is so great. And there's a lesson for you, whoever you are, in that statement that I just shared. 
So many times in our lives today, 2012, we try to put our faith and our hope and our talent and our skills and our human ability to achieve. And I think we would all be better off, we'd all be less frustrated, we'd all be more productive for the Lord if we would just finally acknowledge it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. David's willing to enter the battle because he's trusting the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. First, David remembered his past victories. This tells us that David might not be the the meek little weasel that, that some, like his oldest brother, have made him out to be. Look at verses 34 to 37. It says, But David said to Saul, Your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, David's not being arrogant or conceited like Goliath was earlier. He's simply telling Saul something that Saul wasn't willing to realize. That he wasn't just a meek, homely shepherd boy. He could take care of himself because he walked with the Lord. But I think there's a second reason that David is so emphatic that this must happen. And it's because David realized something must be done on that day. Earlier in our text it said every day Goliath would come out and he would taunt the Israelites. And every day the Israelites would say, thanks but no thanks. How do you think the spirit of the Philistine camp was? And how do you think the spirit of the Israelite camp was? My guess is every day the Israelites refused to fight, their spirits got a little lower. And every day that the Israelites refused to fight and Goliath stood there like a big, bad, nine-foot giant, the Philistines thought, we are set. We're destined to win. These guys are afraid. They won't send anyone into battle. David realized this can't go on. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David said, it's time. Someone's got to step up, someone's got to rise to the occasion, and I am the man. Verse 40, we see a little bit about the the battle. Verse 40, it says, He took his staff in his hand, he chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. This, This is comical. Goliath and all of his weapons against 19-year-old boy and his five smooth stones? If Vegas had odds on this fight, it'd be off the charts. No one would put money on David. You probably shouldn't put money on anyone anyway. But the point is, this is a no-doubt-about-it battle. The greatest weapons you can have against 19-year-old boy with five smooth stones. But David's ready to fight. And Saul eventually gives him the go-ahead. Look at verse 41. It says, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was only a boy and handsome, and he despised him. 
He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Goliath is offended that this is the candidate for battle. He can't believe out of all the warriors that Israel could send, it's 19-year-old boy with his five smooth stones not wearing any armor? Are you kidding me? Well, lesson number five is the point of the story. You know it. Lesson number five. The Lord delivered the victory. The Lord delivered the victory. Let's back up to verses 45 to 47. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down. Children, don't listen. Cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Goliath's offended. Goliath can't believe that this is the person that's going to fight him. David says, you can be offended. You can be upset. Because today is victory day, not because of me, but because of the Lord. He says, you bring the weapons of the day, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. He says, you've defied the Lord, and the Lord's going to give you to me. He says, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field are getting ready for supper, and you, my friend, are the main course. Lesson number five, the Lord delivers the victory. That's the point of the story. Look at it in verse 47. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Well, here's how our narrative concludes. It says that the Philistine moved closer to attack. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it And he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. And he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. And the rest of the story is Israel overran the Philistines. And this was one of the great military victories in all of the Old Testament. Powerful. So what do we do with that? Five things that I want to leave you with today. Contemporary lessons from the ancient battlefield. Number one is this. Unhealthy pride, complacency, fear, and doubt are tools of the enemy. And my my hunch is every single person here has battled at least one of these areas in your life. Pride, complacency, fear, doubt. 
See, Satan wants you to have an unhealthy pride that can lead to arrogance and overconfidence. Satan wants you to become complacent in your faith. I've been a Christian a long time. I don't need to be in the Word. I know all that stuff. Satan wants fear to drive you. Satan wants doubt to keep you from boldly facing the enemy. And I just say this morning, don't let Satan get a foothold. Don't allow pride, complacency, fear, doubt to get the best of you. I think David also teaches us that we're called to do the right thing no matter the consequences or the context. And that's a great connecting point for life in 2012. Too many Christians are very practical in the decisions that they make about life as it relates to faith. And I think we're called to do the right thing no matter the consequence, no matter the context. I think culturally, over the next five years, Christ followers are really going to be facing a conundrum when it comes to some of the issues that I think our, our country and our, our leaders are wrestling with and will continue to wrestle with. And, and we're really going to be faced with, are, are we going to speak up and be people of faith? Or are we just going to kind of go with the flow? I'm going to talk more about that in the month of September. I'm going to ruffle some feathers in September just to let you know. Some of you probably won't be real pleased with some of the sermons in September. But I think we're called to do the right thing no matter the consequence, no matter the context. Number three, focus on God, not on the enemy. That's the David story right there. If David would have focused on Goliath and how big he is and he's nine foot tall and he's got this great armor and this spear's incredible, no way he's going to win the battle. But when you read David's words in 1 Samuel 17, it's not about Goliath. It's not even about David most of the time. It's about the Lord over and over and over and over again. Focus on God, not on the enemy. Number four, trust in the Lord, not in yourself to deliver the victory. I think David just went in and said, God, it's all in your hands. All I've got is these five smooth stones. But you and me, we can take them. I trust you. And then number five, the key is not always success, but instead faithfulness. See, I'm convinced Christ's followers may not win every earthly battle like David defeated Goliath. But I think the key for you and for me is faithfulness to Christ. Years ago, United States Senator from Oregon, Mark Hatfield, visited India while Mother Teresa was still alive. And he writes just how disgusted he was by what he saw. He visited her house of dying. And he said, I, I could barely stay a week. He said, how do, you, how do you do this week after week after week, year after year after year? The death, the disease, the despair, there's no hope. And I love her line. She said, my dear senator, I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. A lot of truth in that statement. Number one characteristic of being a Christ follower, it's not giftedness. It's not talent. It's faithfulness to the cause of Christ. David defeated Goliath, the greatest victory in the Old Testament, not because he was an awesome warrior, but because an awesome God was fighting for him. And that connects with you and with me in 2012, if we only let them. Let's pray. God, thanks for today.
and the chance to study a, a long chapter. It's a known chapter. Most of us have heard this story told many times. But there's so much for us to grab a hold of today for our lives. And so help us, like David, to just trust you, to say the battle's yours. We're not going to be in a military engagement more than likely anytime soon. But maybe it's a battle we're facing at work or in the neighborhood or with friends, family. And we're just not sure how it's going to turn out. We're just not sure what's going to happen. Help us like David to trust you, to lean on you, knowing you're our God, knowing you'll care for us. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's sometimes hard to realize that, but I really hope you will hold on to that truth that the battle does belong to the Lord, that, that he, has, he has won the victory, that, that we have won the victory through him. And so we come to time to our hymn of invitation. And if you have a decision to make for Christ or a decision to make that maybe you're struggling with something and you just need prayer, now's the time as we stand together and sing, Jesus is calling. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I know. <laughs> Sean, turn your phone off. All right. St standing in front of you are the Kids that will, and adults who will be going on the high school mission trip, 32 of them will be working in Joplin uh, this, not this week, but next week. They will leave on early Sunday morning. And as I was at the North American Christian Convention this week, it was interesting what happened to me. One of the gentlemen that he ministers in Joplin, and also Andy Hansen, who works with CIY, came to me and he said, they need people who are going to build in Joplin. He said, if you're not building, there's no use coming. 
Of course, I'm like, uh, we're going on a mission trip. But anyhow, to Joplin. So I came back and I told that to Adam. And Adam said, Ernie, listen to what we're doing. And he read off what they're doing. And they're going to be actually building a house in Joplin, uh, hopefully finishing up a house. And so we're excited about what God's going to do.